If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. Thanks so much. And um, open up in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1 is our passage of Scripture this morning. This sermon is going to cover uh, the section of Deuteronomy chapters 1 through chapter 3 in our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. So Deuteronomy 1, we're going to look this morning and read specifically beginning in verse 21. And so open your Bibles, open your phones to Deuteronomy 1. We're going to begin reading in 21 and read along in God's Word together with me at this time. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up in the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out, and they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out of place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. The title of the message this morning is Recounting God's Grace, Power, and Faithfulness. Uh, let us pray together. Lord, in First Timothy 2, you urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. 
And Lord, this week as we look to the coming election, we pray for our president and for all the men and women in government in our country. We thank you for our country and we're so grateful for the freedom that we have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ here. We pray for the salvation of the men and women who serve in our government. We pray, Lord God, for wisdom to our leaders in government. We ask, Lord, that You would cause the government of our country to go forth in righteousness and that You would use our government and our leaders for righteousness and justice in our land. Lord, we thank You so much that even as we pray for You to bless all of them, We thank you, Lord God, that our hope this morning as your people is not in men. It's not in government. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that the power of your gospel all over the earth is not dependent upon who's in any government. But Lord, whether a government is a righteous government or whether a government is a wicked government, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ remains the same. So I pray that the power of the gospel would go forth into the government of our land and into our land amongst all the people in the United States and that you would save men and women and children by the power of the gospel. Lord, we pray that we as a people would be humble and pray for our leaders and that we would be good citizens of this wonderful country that you've given to us. And Lord, the best way that we can love everyone around us is by proclaiming Christ to them all. So empower us, Holy Spirit, to do that. And I pray that you would bless our country in this coming week And that many people would be brought to Jesus Christ as a result of all the events that are going on currently. We thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for sinners and rising him up from the dead on the third day. Lord, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we thank you so much that we have that hope. Help us to advance that hope forward by proclaiming the only name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. Fill us with power, Holy Spirit, to proclaim the name of Christ today and empower me this morning, Holy Spirit, to preach the gospel so that the name of Christ might ring out from this pulpit both this Sunday and in our church's future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well. Brothers and sisters, just uh, as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 through 3, it's really sort of a, a recap of what has taken place all the way through, you know, the Exodus and uh, Numbers. And, and just the time of the wilderness is really coming to a close here. 
And Moses is now, the context of this passage here is Moses is uh, proclaiming the law to the next generation of Israelites that are right on the verge right now of going into the promised land. They haven't gone into the promised land yet, but they're right on the verge. They're, they're on the outskirts. And Moses is seeking to remind Israel to be faithful to their God and to trust in the Lord. And he's recounting for them their history. So that's what he's doing. He's telling them about how they got to this place. And as he's recounting it, he's he's recounting God's grace and his power and faithfulness. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning um, by way of our points. The first point is going to be recounting God's grace. And then secondly, recounting God's power. And then thirdly, recounting God's faithfulness. Let's look first at recounting God's grace. In Deuteronomy 1, in the passage that we just read, we're reminded of the promises of God, which God always fulfills his promises. Um, Moses spends a good amount of time here in Deuteronomy 1 reminding the people of the land that was promised to them and that they're on the verge of taking possession of right now. Um, and this is really just a gift of God. It's It's really a promise that God made to Abram, many, many generations prior to this, before they were even slaves in Egypt, God made a promise to Abraham, and he told him that in future generations, his people would end up possessing the promised land. And it's so wonderful to see them on the verge of receiving that gift. But you see that in Deuteronomy 1 verse 8, it says, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. What's so exciting as well is that in verse 9, right after that, another promise is fulfilled. Uh, Moses recounts, At that time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. What you need to hearken back to is Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, where the Lord promised at that time, a, a childless Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah being barren at that, that their descendants would number the stars of heaven. He'd actually told Abraham, look up into the heaven and look at the stars and count them if you can. And so shall your descendants be, is the promise that God made to Abraham. And it says that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promise. Even when his human eyes looked at the circumstances and saw no way by which it could come about. He just looked and he had a barren wife. There was no hope that he had in and of himself. But he trusted in God's promise. And he trusted in God's power to fulfill his promise. What's so wonderful is here we are in Deuteronomy 1. And the people of Israel are as numerous as the stars in the sky. So that's been fulfilled. And they're right on the verge of going into the promised land. After all those 400 years of being in slavery in Egypt, when the thought of them being free and in the promised land for many generations was just a thought that must have really stretched their faith and made them think, I don't know that that is ever going to happen. Here we are in slavery in Egypt, and there's no way we're ever going to be able to be brought out. Here they are. They're on the verge of entering in. And actually, they had just defeated 
uh, two Amorite kings, Og and Sihon, who we'll look at in Deuteronomy 1 through 3. And so there's also this this proclamation of power from God where God says to Moses and to the people of Israel, this next generation, just as I defeated these two Amorite kings that were just defeated, so it's going to go for you as you go into the promised land. I will drive out the inhabitants of the land of Canaan before your eyes by my power. And so the people of Israel are right on the verge of moving in and seeing this promise of the promised land fulfilled. I can't wait to go through the book of Deuteronomy as we see that uh, that promise and the verge of it being fulfilled and the anticipation of that increase and then head into the book of Joshua together with you, church. And it's going to be rich to see that. And I can't wait to see that promise fully fulfilled with you and to celebrate that together. All of this happens. These are promises that God made by his grace to Abraham, who his descendants and his ancestors prior to that, they were moon worshipers. They were from Ur of the Chaldeans, and they were idolaters. It wasn't that Abraham was a more righteous man than any of the other people on the earth. And yet God, in his saving grace, chose Abraham and chose the people of Israel to display, to speak these promises, and then to bring them to pass. And it reminds us of God's amazing grace in our own lives. We have to look and remember, brothers and sisters, as we look in our own lives, God's grace, and to recount God's grace, even as Moses is recounting God's grace to the people of Israel here in Deuteronomy 1 through 3. Um, When's the last time you've reflected on God's amazing grace in your own life? I pray, brothers and sisters of Christ's community, that this would be a regular occurrence for us. You see the uh, the Apostle Paul saying in, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he just talks about that he was the chief of sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Paul said. It seemed like Paul was always, as a Christian, recounting that God's grace came to the chief of sinners and that there was no merit in him whatsoever that merited God's electing love and saving grace. And you see Moses doing the same thing throughout the book of Deuteronomy. But we we have to look at God's grace and remember that grace is God's unmerited favor. I've shared this definition a number of times. I want to kind of just remind us of it so that we can get it deep down into our soul. Um, God's grace is his unmerited favor in Christ. His unmerited favor in Christ to sinners who deserve his wrath. God's grace is his unmerited favor in Christ to sinners who deserve his wrath we see that Israel, in this section I just read this morning, they're, they're undeserving of the good things that God is giving to them. You look and you see, um, you, you see God is faithful and God's fulfilling His promises, but you see the people of Israel whom God just, He calls them to covenant faithfulness and to trust in Him and to obey Him and follow Him. And, and yet what you see in Deuteronomy 1 in verse 26, you say, you see, Moses saying to the next generation of Israelites, 
speaking about their fathers and their mothers, you would not go up when God told you to go up, verse 26, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. So not only is there not positive merit for us to be on the receiving end of God's grace, there's actually the presence of demerit. We not only, we don't merit the wonderful gift of eternal life that we've received by grace through faith, brothers and sisters. We have to remember, though, that not only do we not merit it, but God gives it to us in the presence of actual demerit. That's grace. We don't merit the free gift of salvation that we who are believers in Christ in this room have received as a gift of grace. And actually, what we merit is God's just punishment for the sins that we've committed. I heard uh, R.C. Sproul once say, don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve. Because if God gave any of us in this room what we deserve, we would instantly be transported to hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we are. We're sinners. And God's grace is God's unmerited favor in Christ to sinners who deserve His wrath. That's Israel's story. That's every true believer in this room's story. If you've repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, you have been on the receiving end of God's unmerited favor in Christ. To a sinner like you and I who is worthy of His wrath. Does it affect you this morning, brothers and sisters, that though you and I deserve the wrath of God, here we sit right now as children of God instead on the way to eternal life in heaven that we don't deserve. Aren't you so thankful for God's amazing grace in your life and his steadfast love? Moses is recounting that, yes, Israel has been unfaithful, but God has been faithful. Israel has been rebellious. God has been gracious in the face of their rebellion. Just a a personal story here. I just... I can't help but talk about this and not reflect on just God's amazing grace in my own life. I I went to uh, a, high, a high school called Sun Valley High School, which is down in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, and I graduated. And, and it was in my senior year of high school that the Lord really rescued my soul and really did a 180 in my life. I was kind of one of those worldly church-going kids that, um, you know, I would come in at church on Sunday, I would sing the songs, and but I would, I just, my mind and my heart were elsewhere. I was living really for the world. I was pursuing athletic dreams and girlfriends and just having fun. Those were kind of my, my, my gods that I was serving. Um, but I, I would sing the songs and I, you know, I was really just sort of one of those worldly double-minded Christians that as I, as I think back on it now, if it wasn't for the rescuing grace of God in my senior year, I could have been sort of a lukewarm, maybe just go to church every once in a while, guys, all my life, and I could have been blinded to the reality of my situation all the way through. 
I could have lived for the pursuits of this world and thought that I was truly born again when I really wasn't because I wasn't living for the Lord. And I remember in my senior year, uh, I remember there was a youth leader that took me to breakfast at a restaurant called Tom Jones in Brookhaven, Pennsylvania. And in Tom, at Tom Jones restaurant, the senior year, uh, you know, young man, this youth leader met with me and he just said, CB, what do you want to be remembered as? And I remember saying, I don't know, I guess a good guy, great athlete. And he just really, in the mercy of God, just exposed what I was living for and said, CB, you could be the best athlete this school has ever seen. And in four years, when all the kids who are now in the school come up and through, nobody's ever going to remember that you were the best athlete in this school um, except you. And nobody's going to care about whether your name's on a banner except you or there's a trophy in the trophy case except you. Um, and he just exposed the futility of living for athletic dreams. And then he said, you could be the best guy this school's ever seen. And again, in four years, when everybody else passes through, the freshmen who are now freshmen come up and through, nobody's ever going to remember that C.B. Etter was a good guy, just like they won't remember C.B. Etter was a good athlete. And he just exposed for me the things that I was living for were futile. Eternally speaking, they were just absolutely futile. There was nothing that I was living for that was of eternal import. And he just said to me, CB, he goes, I know you say you're a Christian. He said, but you're not living it. He just called me out on my lukewarm, compromising uh, Christianity that would go to church, but then knew that, you know, I'd be there worshiping Sunday morning and Sunday night, I knew I'd be out sinning. When I think back on that, God had mercy on me and he just said, CB, if you give your whole heart over to Jesus Christ and serve him wholeheartedly, you'll be able to make an impact on people's lives for eternity. And God broke through into my soul. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me sleep that night. I remember just thinking that I was just living for nothing. I was living for me and for my own glory. And God just exposed what I was living for as utterly futile from an eternal perspective and and just set my heart ablaze with a desire to want to make an impact on people's lives for eternity and to, to give my whole heart over to Christ. And that's the only way you can make an impact on people's lives for eternity. And I was just, oh, just so captured by God and by His grace. And I knew that Jesus died on the cross for my sins because I had heard the gospel, but... It wasn't living in my soul. It was like I would talk about Jesus dying on the, on the cross for my sins in, in a very boring way. Yeah, I know. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I could have even recounted it, but it had not captured my soul. The Lord captured my soul in my senior year of high school, and, and my life really did from that point. It was a turning point that marked my life, and I was changed. And from that day on, the Lord really has been just the great love of my life. And I look back on that now, church, and I I marvel at it. And actually, uh, one of our church members, Jerry Maurer, who uh, also grew up down in Delaware County, he uh, he also loves the Tom Jones restaurant. He said, CV, I want to take you back to Tom Jones so that we can go there together and have some memories of where we grew up together. And so recently we drove down the Tom Jones restaurant in Brookhaven, Pennsylvania, and we sat in, they rearranged the restaurant a little bit, we sat in a booth right next to the booth that I was in as a senior, 
in high school. And I, I could barely eat my food because I was just crying my eyes out thinking about out of all the 237 kids that graduated in my high school class, why did God come after me like he did? Why did he expose the futility of what I was living for and rescue me and set me on this path? So that I'm here before you worshiping, just like you all are here worshiping before the Lord today. It's been a miracle of God's grace. And if it wasn't for what he did, I would still be lost. Maybe even thinking I'm a Christian, but not living for God. But God was merciful when he opened my eyes up to see Jesus like I never saw him before. And all of a sudden... The same words took on a new life. I, I remember hearing about Christ dying on the cross for my sins and, and being a substitute and dying in my place on the cross and rising from the dead to save me from an eternity in hell. And it was like I had never heard the words before, though I had heard them Sunday after Sunday from the time I was a little kid in Sunday school. And the gospel began to burn like a blazing fire in my soul. That's the Holy Spirit that did that. And that's the Holy Spirit that has done that in you. Young people, I pray that you would see that there is nothing of this world worth living for but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That you would take a fresh look at Jesus and see what He did for you on the cross and lay behind you forever living for the here and now and say, all I want is Jesus. Take the world and give me Jesus. I pray for all of us teens and adults that we would not live for the futile things of this world but we would remember what God has done in rescuing us having mercy on us pouring out his unmerited favor on us even when we weren't looking for it ourselves oh God has been gracious hasn't he church And if you haven't yet repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, I want to appeal to you to do so at this time. Trust in Jesus as your only hope of salvation. He will rescue you, sinner, just as he rescued this sinner. It set my feet upon a rock. I'm so thankful for the amazing grace of God in my life. I can't think of that story, and I can't think of the way God so tenderly dealt with such a rebel like me without breaking me down into tears. I'm so grateful for him. So much so I gotta, I gotta hold it together because I could completely dissolve into a puddle. But you've seen that before. God's been so good to his church, hasn't he? His amazing grace is truly amazing. And it's so important to recount God's grace in our lives on a regular basis. We're going to look secondly at recounting God's power, recounting God's power. Um, we see this here, not just in God saving Israel out from Egypt, where he lifted them up out of the nation of Egypt and, and delivered them and redeemed them out of lifelong slavery and set them free. That was amazing enough. That was a miracle of God's power. Their backs were against the Red Sea with the Israelites pursuing them in front of them to crush them. And God crushed the Egyptian army instead and delivered Israel out and saved them powerfully. They were delivered into the wilderness. 
And I was saying to you throughout the book of Numbers that the, the years of the wilderness, the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings, parallels where we are at as New Covenant believers today. We are also likewise in the wilderness, the in-between time, between the time we're saved and the time that we actually enter the promised land called heaven. We're in that time right now, just like the people of Israel were in that time right here. And they saw God's power, not only to save, but God's power to sustain them in the midst of the wilderness. You see in verse 26 that they rebelled against the Lord. And they did not believe God's promise. Even though Moses said, do not be afraid of them. Verse 29, the Lord your God who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And then here, and in the wilderness, he's talking about the time they've just passed through. In the wilderness, look at this beautiful description where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you. As a man carries his son, All the way that you went until you came to this place. This uh, Hebrew word for carry is is really a a sweet word. It it, it means you've been lifted up and you've been taken and now you're being carried forth. And the the imagery here of of God carrying his people, it's almost like the Lord couldn't just help but introduce this concept. I'm so thankful for the word that came forward from Eric this morning, reminding us of the way that the Lord saves and that the way that the Lord sustains. It isn't just that he carries us. He carries us as a man carries his son. As a good father carries his precious little son that he loves. And this lands on us to see the personal fatherly love of God and the way that he not only saves and lifts his people out of Egypt, but he also carries and sustains his people in the wilderness. And Moses is recounting God's power of the Lord to carry them and to sustain them along the way. Oh, brothers and sisters, as we reflect on the Lord carrying us, I, I can't help but just be so moved by how the Lord, in Exodus 19, verse 4, reflect upon this scripture with me together. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The Lord indeed not only rescued us out of Egypt, but he also bore us. He sustained us. He carried us as well. And what I love about this verse here in Deuteronomy is he talks about us being God's child. And as a father, he carries us. I love seeing the fathers in our church just carry their sons and daughters. A strong guy just holding on to his his, his little girl or his little boy. And this is mine. This is my possession, my little boy. And I love this little child. Do anything to protect and fight for this little child. Every parent in this room knows that that experience of just feeling like you would do anything to protect and bless this little child. This is what imagery God's calling to mind here as we think of 
Him sustaining us in the wilderness. Church, He didn't just carry Israel. He's carrying you. He's carrying you. And He's not just carrying you. He's carrying you as a tender and strong father carries and holds on to his little son and little daughter. I remember when uh, I first became a dad and uh, they handed my, my, little, my little baby daughter, Ashlyn, and put her in my arms. My little baby daughter, Ashlyn, who's going to be 18 coming up this next year, by the way. And I, I was so awkward when I first took her in my arms. And dads, you, you might re- remember this moment. Like, and, uh, and someone finally just set me free. They just said, CB, hold him like a football. <laughs> and that just clicked for me. And I just took her up in my arms and I held her like a little football. And it, that's good because I don't fumble. <laughs> I thought so, I thought for sure that I would have this little tiny dainty little girl in my arms and that I'd end up being the one idiot that slips and drops the little baby on the floor or something stupid like that. And God was very merciful to me to give me that advice. Hold her like a football and oh, I held her dear as I held my other two daughters and my precious son dear. I love seeing a father carry his child with strength and power and with love. The Lord carries us. And brothers and sisters, reflect on this verse. It's not just when we're infants and when we're newly saved. Isaiah 46.4, the Word of God says this, Even to your old age, I will be the same. And I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you and deliver you. It's just—it's not just when we're new Christians with all the energy and zeal of a new convert does he hold us and carry us, beloved. But my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there's never going to be a moment, even when we are weak and we can no longer serve him. And maybe it would be the case that we even outlive all those who love us and we would be utterly alone. We, as the precious children of God, will never be alone. We will be sustained. We will be carried even into old age by our awesome, powerful God who has carried us, saved us far. And His grace will also lead us home. Do not be troubled and let your heart not be afraid that you're not going to make it because your awesome God who began this good work in you is going to carry it to completion even as he did with unfaithful Israel. You know, it's interesting. The context where Moses is saying this, uh, God carried you, it says right after that in verse 32, another reminder of their lack of faithfulness. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you. You didn't believe him. Even though he's carried you, our lack of faithfulness does not stop the faithfulness of God. Our rebellion does not stop God. 
fulfilling his promises for his people. And brothers and sisters, take great heart in that today when you look and you reflect on your life. Because when we ask, what is our story? We will say, he lifted me. He carried me. And he also fights for me. He carries you as he carries me. In Deuteronomy 2 verse 7, look in that verse with me right in the next chapter there. It says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. And then look at this phrase. He knows you're going. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. You have lacked nothing. You're in the wilderness and you lack nothing. That is by God's supernatural power. And not only does he provide everything that you need, it also says the Lord has knowledge of you. He knows your goings. He carries you. I couldn't help but reflect when I was thinking about this carrying by God of the poem Footprints that's very popular and many people, many believers love. You might have heard this poem before. One night I dreamed a dream and as I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me and one to the Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way, but I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you most, you would leave me. And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. I love the imagery of God carrying you. The one thing that I would adjust would be, we're being carried all the time. It's not just in the hardest times of our life, but during our best times, our Lord is carrying us All the time. Our mysterious God is so awesome. He is holding on to us and never letting us go. And He is keeping us by His sustaining grace at all times. And brothers and sisters, this is meant to bring you much comfort this morning in the midst of your Christian life. Amen? Let us look at the final point. Recounting God's faithfulness. Recounting God's faithfulness. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1, if you look in uh, verse 33, it says that God went before Israel. He went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. The Lord goes before his people. It actually says in Isaiah, he's also our rear guard. So he's got your front, he's got your back. God's got everything covered for you. He, he, this, this imagery is of fierce protection. The actual imagery also of, of bearing you on eagle's wings 
is, is not only that you're soaring to the heights, though you are, it's also an imagery in Deuteronomy, similar to what Eric shared at the mic this morning. It, it's like an eagle bringing its great wings over its brood and protecting that brood with fierce love and devotion. There's a protection, a keeping grace, and a, cre- a keeping love that our God has. He, he fights for his own. He protects with a fierce protection. We, I, I loved meditating on this as we looked in the book of Numbers where the Lord was, was likened to um, a, a wild ox. And the strength of a wild ox. Balaam prophesied that God is for Israel like the horns of the wild ox. This imagery of great power and strength and devotion and don't touch my people or I will touch you. There's a fierce love, a, a, a devotion that is so personal and it's meant to really bless our hearts, brothers and sisters. Look at Deuteronomy 1 verse 30 in the section we read this morning. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. That language of for himself is meant to point out to you that God is not going to send an emissary to do it. Though he can. He can send angels to come and protect and fight for us. He himself will fight for you. This is something that God doesn't delegate. He actually comes and guards and protects and fights for his people himself, just as he did for you in Egypt. This imagery Moses is saying here is God fought for you in Egypt And here you are now on the verge of the promised land as freed men and women. Don't fear going into the promised land with the obstacles that are up ahead. And don't fear Christ's community with the obstacles that are up ahead in your life. Because the Lord God who fought for you and delivered you out of bondage to sin and death and Satan through his sacrificial love on the cross and resurrection from the dead will himself fight for you in the battles, brothers and sisters, that yet lie ahead for you. So do not fear the days ahead, beloved. God goes before you. The presence of God goes before you. He is looking out for you. And he fights for you. This imagery of God fighting for his people it's, it's seen multiple times in Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 3. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 3, look there with me, and you'll see the Lord saying that he fights for his people in verse 22. Deuteronomy 3, 22. Start in 21. I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. This is talking about great faithfulness that God has for his people. It's the kind of faithfulness that as you are thinking about enemies to your soul, it's meant to bolster you that God's got you. And he's fighting on your behalf. It's it's. Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
and knowing that that same Jesus is fighting for you, that your faith might not fail either, precious child of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, believe in God's promise. Believe that when he says he fights for you, that he does in fact fight for you. This passage here in Deuteronomy 1 is evidence enough that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's important for us when God is telling us in his word that he fights for us, for us to believe it. And when God tells us to go forth and to go forth in his name and to enter into the promised land and trust in him, that to say in the face of God's command to go forth, there's giants in the land. I cannot go. This is too big for me. And actually, you look in Deuteronomy 1, it's so, it's so painful to read it. The people of Israel, and Moses is recounting for the next generation what their fathers and mothers had said. And they, they, they languished in the wilderness an additional 40 years because of this. They actually said in Deuteronomy 1, it's because the Lord hated us. You can't get more painful in terms of the words you could actually say to God than to say it was because God hated us that he brought us out of Egypt. And they said it. And those, those words and that unbelief had consequences, brothers and sisters. God brought his judgment down on that generation and not one except Joshua and Caleb who were wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord entered into the promised land from that generation because they did not believe in God's promise. Church, let us believe in God's promise. Let us believe in God's promised one. Let us lay hold of Jesus Christ together today with fresh faith and say, God, nothing is impossible for you. And if you say you're going to fight for me and then I'm going to make it all the way to the end of my race, I trust you and not what my eyes see. Because raise up all the giants in the land. Raise up the nation of Egypt and everybody coming at you. When you've got God on your side, you are victorious. And we are. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Jesus Christ. He fights for us. And that's a testament to his faithfulness. I have gone through, my friends, many dark nights of the soul, as I'm sure many of you have as well, struggling greatly in the battle with remaining indwelling sin in my own life, Satan's temptations and battles with the world and in the midst of many storms and chaoses in my own soul, I have seen Jesus Christ come into the midst of my darkness and into the midst of the storms of my troubled, tempted soul. Come into my heart and say to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And the seas get calm like glass. He has lifted you out of the pit. He has carried you all this way in the wilderness to where you were on the verge of being in the promised land. He is not going to stop fighting for you now. He is not going to stop fighting for you and I now. Let us look to him and let our faces be radiant in faith this morning that as we look at our awesome God and recount his grace and his power and faithfulness to Israel, Let us also recount God's grace and power and faithfulness in our own life and let it bolster us and let it cause us to 
put the fears behind us and look forward to the days ahead and say, my God is going to continue to fight for me and be faithful. He has fought for you and he will fight for you. There are defeated foes behind your back right now that God has preserved you through battles in your past that have been fought and won. And there are more up ahead. But Christ Community Church, He is with us. He has lifted us. He has carried us. And He fights for us. And we're going to make it just as Israel made it. Not because of our faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness of Almighty God. Amen. Aren't you so thankful to be saved and to have him in your life? Aren't you so grateful that he died on the cross for your sins? I love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for fighting for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here and hear your word. Strengthen us, Almighty God, and keep us by your grace. We love you so much, and we're so glad that you've lifted us. And we're so glad that you lifted us out of Egypt, and you rescued us and redeemed us. We're not slaves anymore to sin and Satan and death because you died on the cross and rose again. Oh, what amazing love this is as we sung and as Alex led us in worship this morning. What amazing love this is. How can this be that you, my king, would die for me? Almighty God, thank you not only for saving us, but for sustaining us in the wilderness. Thank you for carrying us as a, as a father carries his son. Almighty God, what precious and intimate imagery that is. Let it remind us of your awesome power. And Lord, I pray also finally that you would remind us of your faithfulness. That you are the God who fights for us. And we're going to make it all the way to the end. Because you are a covenant-keeping God. You are a promise-keeping God. Lord, we make promises and we break them. But you, Almighty God, you make promises and you deliver on them every single time. And so when you say that what you began, you're going to finish it, you will finish it. And we just thank you so much that we have you in our lives. Thank you that we are amongst your people. Almighty God, if there's anybody here in the hearing of this message who is not one of your own children, who has not repented of their sins and trusted in you, Jesus. I pray that they would do so at this time and that you would save them and you would set their feet on a rock and, Lord, that you would do the 180 in their life that you did in my life in my senior year of high school and transform them like you did me. We're so grateful for how you preserved your people Israel. Thank you for your grace and power and faithfulness to us as well. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank our awesome God for how awesome he is once again? Woo! We love you, Lord. Go forth, Christ community, and enjoy God's grace, power, and faithfulness today. Amen? Enjoy.